Alabast is the number one, I think we can safely say number one, investing platform, uh, financial platform for women. And it was built by women. And the underlying aha moment is, whoa, for all that we talk about the gender pay gap with women, the 82 cents to a white man's dollar, there's a gender wealth gap that's 32 cents to a white man's dollar. That's how much That's more important. We should be talking about it all the time. It's how much women keep and have. It's been going in the wrong direction. It's been Mm. getting wider. For black women, it's a penny. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Sally Krawcheck's professional mission is to get more money into the hands of women. She is the CEO and co-founder of Elevest, the number one investment company for women. Elevest was named on CNBC's Top 50 Disruptor list in 2019, on LinkedIn's 50 Most Sought After Startups list two years in a row, and as one of Entrepreneur Magazine's Top 100 Brilliant Ideas. Krawcheck is also the best-selling author of Own It, The Power of Women at Work. Before launching Elevest, Krawcheck was the CEO of Merrill Lynch, Smith Barney, U.S. Trust, the City Private Bank, and Sanford C. Bernstein. She was also Chief Financial Officer for Citigroup. I kicked off the conversation with Sally by asking her about influences in her life that allowed her to become so successful. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts, and resources to help you run your business? So whether you're a business beginner or an entrepreneurial expert, find the solutions, tools, and tips you need to help take your business to the next level. Plus, if you have a Visa business credit or debit card, you can get access to cardholder benefits like Visa Savings Edge, a savings program which can help you save on everyday business expenses like office essentials, travel, and more. When you enroll your Visa business card and Visa Savings Edge, you'll have access to valuable offers which can help turn qualifying business purchases made with your enrolled Visa business card into savings for your business. Learn more at visa.com slash small business hub. Once again, that's visa.com slash small business hub. Visa, a network working for everyone. I'm really happy to be here. And yeah, I grew up in, in Charleston, South Carolina, which you know, going from Charleston, South Carolina as a young woman who, young girl who went into an all-girls school to a career on Wall Street and investing is not a typical path. But there were a couple of drivers for it, one of which was my grandmother, my father's mother, who worked even though it was a little unseemly, who had my father, as a, had gave birth to him when she was in her 40s, which was a little unseemly, but was such a badass and such a terrific woman and took such an interest in me. And so I sort of had that foundation of this badass woman really believes in me. And she passed away when I was probably 16. And I I think about her and miss her every day. The other motivator was that I was bullied and teased at my old girl's school. And I've I've said before, and and obviously I'm I'm joking, but there's some truth to it. There, There wasn't much they could do to me on 
Right. And we're talking eating lunch by yourself, being picked, not last for the team, but second to last for the team. And that sense of just humiliation for just being who you were and not being able to sort of figure my way out. And so I've got a level of, I'm going to show you and a level of insecurity that has lasted through through my life. And, and it's sort of in a joyful way, like I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep going. But those, those were some influences on me. You know, it's incredible when you go back to that and see what drives people. And, and I understand now, I'm sure, how it was for you when you had to pick yourself off the mat because you had done it so many times, going through that, having that strong influence from your grandmother and then getting bullied. Has that, has it dissipated at all? Has it gotten easier? Is, is it still when you're doing business, is that still there pushing you? Oh, I think, I think it's part of me now. I think it's part of the DNA. But I was fortunate too, the get up off the mat. You just, you had to go to school every day. I mean, there, there wasn't an, I mean, maybe I could convince my parents that I was sick one day, but you had to go to school every day and sort of take the hits, which again, in middle school are all consuming. Right. It's it's not I'm going to leave this for a little while. It's your your it's all consuming. And so I think I learned something that a lot of other young women at the time did not learn, which is that the get back up the next day. The research shows that women tend to embarrass more easily than men, girls more easily than boys. And, and boys often overcome this through sports. Oh, I lost. That's that was the worst. There's another game. I learned that. And so. I've had some real career highs and I've had some real career lows and they've been in the public eye in many cases. And so the, I, I had a friend of mine, you know, the second time I got pushed out of a large firm on Wall Street publicly, front page of the Wall Street Journal. I love that. And, you know, especially having two daughters, uh, both in middle school right now, and we're talking years later from when we grew up and it's still so difficult for girls and for women. and, And it's really amazing. And we'll talk about some of the things you've done and created, but I want to go back to, you know, you said you you know, it's not the typical path. And and also when you entered or, or went on to work on Wall Street, mm. it was a completely different environment. And uh, what were your first perceptions <laughs> of, of, of in your first job? I mean, there was no unconscious bias. Okay. <laughs> there was conscious women should not be in this industry. It was flat out rip roaring When I got there late 80s, I remember my very first day at Solomon Brothers. I mean, so the most extreme toxic masculinity Wall Street firm you could ever imagine. And my first day, this I remember standing at my desk and this guy's walking behind me and he looks like he's 100, you know, 70 years old. He's way overweight. (laughs) He's smoking a cigar. Um, And he says to me, and this is where you got to bring up the bleeper. We looked at what I was wearing, looked me up and down, and what kind of bleeping mater- discount maternity wear is that? That was my first introduction to my boss's 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 boss, who, by the way, was 35. Oh, my he, God. Yeah, he looked like he was, he was in his 70s yeah. uh, because he was so hard living. And that's the leadership you've got. That's the leadership, right? So imagine it then how it trickles down. It's incredible. What was... I mean, first off, being a woman 
and mm-hmm. the 80s on Wall Street. You know, right? The movie Wall Street, we look at people remember. But but what was that at that time like for you just with everything going on? The I'm sure the excitement, the highs, the lows. What was that like for you? There were no highs. There were no highs. I worked hard enough and was good enough that I didn't get fired, but I was never able to figure out investment banking. I, I couldn't figure out how How do you get on the right team? How do you take credit for the deal? How do you avoid blame when it goes badly? And I essentially would be put babysitting older bankers, you know, just to sort of do their work for them. So I was only successful in that I kept my job and I could not lose it and I could not leave it because I didn't come for money. And so I had signed a year long lease in New York City. I could not afford not to work. But what I did during my 20s is really sort of took a pretty careful cataloging of what I liked about the job, not much, but I did love the analytics. I did love dealing with smart clients. What I missed from other jobs, I you didn't do any writing in investment banking. And I was a journalism major. I missed it. And what, you know, what I didn't want, I didn't want the teamwork of an all-male atmosphere. I wanted individual responsibility. It took me a lot, you know, years. But then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd love to say I had an insight as so many young women from the South have at about the age of 30, which was, I want to be a Southside equity research analyst. And it brought together the stuff I love, but the individual accountability and responsibility took away a lot of the gendered issues at that time. Because I mean, it was probably a benefit to be a woman because I was competing against 25 men. And so if my research was good, you couldn't forget me. And there were very few people like, I'm not going to talk to you about your excellent research because you have the cooties. It just, it fell away to some degree. And what was that like making that swap or that switch at that point? Was Mm -hmm. it easy for you to do? Were they accepting? Was it something you had to really strive and ask for? Yeah. Yeah. So when I decided to make the switch, I began to send out resumes. And I think I was rejected by 30-something Wall Street firms. In fact, the um, director of research, Smith Barney, rejected me because his intuition was that I would not work hard enough, which we don't know each other very well, but I have lots of faults. Not working hard enough is (laughs) not one of my faults, okay? It is a significant strength. And I love to joke, you know, that years later when he worked for me and I fired him, I reminded him of that. And by the way, he did work for me and I, I did fire him later. I love that. Uh, I do too. How do you tell? Don't you about my ex-husband later. But I ended up, the only job offer I got was at Sanford Bernstein, which I used to lovingly call the land of misfit toys because it wasn't a, you went to Harvard, I went to Yale. The guy who they hired before me, literally the job before his research analyst job at Bernstein was driving a text. And so it was just bring your brain. We don't, we really just care about the intellectual content and about the work ethic and about being contrarian, which was such a great lesson for me. Like if you, if you're going to be a research analyst and you're going to have a buy on XYZ company, the way all the other 25 analysts do, don't waste our time. Like just don't waste it. And so you, I learned very quickly to be contrarian almost by nature. That's interesting. You climb the ladder, whether mm-hmm. you, you call it climbing the ladder or you just were able to put yourself in positions that I don't know if there are many women 
prior, during, prior that have achieved, you know, some of the things you have achieved by being CEO of some major, you know, major banks. How were you able to do that? Yeah. Um, Some of it was luck and I'm not going to pretend like it wasn't, but I'm not going to pretend like it was all luck either. It was excellent work. My research was excellent. I, when I spent that time in my twenties, like, what am I good at? What am I not good at? I, I nailed it. I, I was a great research analyst. Very importantly, that lesson of, if you just say, I agree with everybody, just be quiet. So I only spoke when I had a contrarian perspective. And so therefore I was worth listening to. And by the way, I wasn't even particularly right on my stock picks, but I had a different perspective. In my view as a research analyst is if I can go into a meeting and someone, oh, oh, huh, then that's a win. I don't need to, the stocks were going to go from 30 to 40. Who cares about that? But there's an insight. Um, and so I was a highly analytical, differentiated insight, contrarian. And then I stuck out, stuck out. And you know, the, the moment, one of the moments I remember, I la- later worked at City, Sandy Well hired me. But when back in the day when Travelers and, and Solomon Brothers were merging, everybody was positive and I was dead negative. And Sandy Wall called me up and screwed, the CEO at the time yes. screamed at me. And he later, years later, admitted that I was right and he was wrong, that, you know, they should never have bought Solomon Brothers, that it was too much risk, that it did. And so being willing to have the upset stomach that comes with I'm alone and I'm contrarian and I'm visible. I sort of thought it was fun. And so that helped me. And then it didn't hurt that by serendipity, I covered the Wall Street firms. So then I had exposure to the heads of the Wall Street firms. And, you know, as I went up the leadership team and had contrarian strategies as well for running our company, I was known to these folks. You know, it's so funny you talk about contrarian strategies because for so many people, especially in corporate America, who just climb the ladder, it's all about getting along, doing what your boss wants you to do, you know, right? It's the exact opposite. You took the exact opposite approach and it obviously worked for you. But what was it inside of you that, you know, for a lot of people, including myself, it's very difficult to be, to put yourself in that position when you're against everyone, where does that come from? Well, it came, it started because I wanted to be successful as a research analyst. That's where it started. I want to be successful. What are the things that have to happen? And since I'd been left alone in middle school, having lunch by myself, I was sort of used to being alone, right? I was sort of used to people saying I was a dork and I was a jerk and, you know, don't pay attention to her. So those were sort of familiar feelings for me. But then part of it was to have fun. Like, what's the fun of being in the pack? And that's my privilege that I could take those risks knowing that I could be fired. For example, I was director of research at Sanford Bernstein. I took us out back in the day. I'm going back little sunny, young sunny, Hmm. you know, when research analysts would make research recommendations and they'd advise corporate clients. And there was a direct conflict of interest because the research recommendation by low individual investor but the corporate client issues stock high. I said, alone on Wall Street, we're getting out of that business. And I remember the, the head of research at Goldman Sachs calling me to his office and saying, you're going to go out of business and you're going to lose your job. And you know what? It almost happened until the internet bubble burst. And then these conflicts were clear and we were the ones standing and our business went vertical. So you have to be, let's have some fun. What's the fun of doing what everybody else does? Let's have a contrarian strategy that you've researched, that you don't know 100% is right, but that you're pretty sure you're seeing something other people aren't seeing. In this case, it was ethics, but 
so be it. You know, it's so amazing because having two daughters uh, of my own now who are in middle school and going through similar issues and, you know, there's always drama and who being bullied and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so, and it's so hard to watch, but then I talk to you and realize because of that situation, because what happened to you, it must've been miserable at the time. Yeah. But I always think to myself, like it will, it could be a life changing thing. It could be a life changing moment. And you're really living proof of that. And, you know, I'm curious if if you could go back, was it that traumatic that you would have wanted a different outcome, even though what you've done today and what it's defined has made you this strong woman? Right. Well, look, it's, that's a hard question to answer. I'd, I'd go back and give myself a hug mm. and say, you know, yes. look, underneath those unfortunate glasses and that terrible Dorothy Hamill hairstyle and those corrective <laughs> shoes and those braces, you know, <laughs> underneath it all, it's gonna, you're gonna work out. It's gonna work out just fine. So mm. of course we all have things that we, look, I have a lot in my career. I have plenty I would change, plenty I would change, but you can't. And nobody, you know, you don't know many successful people who had it easy. There, I'm sure, are some, but you're always hearing about that struggle that turns into strength. No, no, for sure. I mean, and we've had so many successful people on this program, and it's just amazing to me. We had the founder of Lululemon recently, and they were going to go bankrupt five times. And, and I'm not talking oh. even back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so amazing to me how you know there could be so many companies out there that that might just have missed the one next thing or we had the woman who started Y Combinator and mm-hmm. talking about how Airbnb came to them as like a last resort and they yeah. she put yeah. in funds because of their creativity and just it is really amazing how you say like luck can be involved but also just you know from a standpoint of how things turn out, it could, mm-hmm. you never really know. And, you know, for you, I want to, I, I want to talk about, you know, you achieve so much and so many CEO level jobs at the biggest banks in the world brand, some of those, which is, which is incredible mm-hmm. just from where you came from, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the time frame. and, you started a company called Elevest, and I, and I want to talk about that because to me, it seems it's a little bit different from where mm-hmm. you were. You were in corporate mm-hmm. America working, mm-hmm. you know, getting up the ladder, doing this, and all of a sudden, you decide to start a company called Elevest. And I want you to mm-hmm. talk to me about why and what you do and why it's so important. Yeah. So that, I thank you for asking because it's my favorite topic. Elevest is... The number one, I think we can safely say number one, investing platform, uh, financial platform for women. And it was built by women. And the underlying aha moment is, whoa, for all that we talk about the gender pay gap with women, 82 cents to a white man's dollar, there's a gender wealth gap that's 32 cents to a white man's dollar. That's how much, that's more important. We should be talking about it all the time. It's how much women keep and have. It's been going in the wrong direction. It's been getting Mm. wider. For Black women, it's a penny. And when you start to look at what's the difference between pay and wealth, any number of things come up. And some of them, there's not a lot I can do about. From here, women will take more career breaks than men do. Okay, fine. But ones that I could potentially affect are that women invest 
less of the wealth they have than men do. They keep the majority in cash, which at the time you're standing still with inflation today, you're going back. Women have more credit card debt than men do. Women have more debt at higher interest rates with the same FICO score. And so as I looked at it and said, wow, this is a problem. And it's a problem for a couple of reasons. One of which is money is women's number one source of stress. It is so bad that more than half a millennial women say it has made them physically ill. The second thing is all good things happen when pay, wealth gaps compress. Societies are fairer. When women have more money, their families are better off. Their spouses are better off. Nonprofits, they give more money to nonprofits. And we're going in the wrong direction. It might not be such a coincidence that our society is so angry and this wealth gap is increasing. And plus, think of all the women who, relative to men, are stuck in jobs they hate because they don't have the money to quit are stuck in marriages that aren't working for them because they don't have the money to quit, aren't starting the businesses they want to because they don't have the I mean, you were talking about, oh, Airbnb, close call. What we're not talking about is all the businesses that haven't been found, where half of the population has said, I can't afford, I'm putting in quotes, afford to. So we identified this huge honking thing, which, okay, fine. The research team at XYZ Bank has that too. But the big difference for us, they'd all had women's initiatives. They were all marketing initiatives. They all sort of assumed we've got to change women's behavior. And Elevest was the first that said, maybe it's not women's fault. Maybe it's not all the product in financial services are perfect and women just need to get on board and change and you go, girl. Maybe in an industry where, you know, 98% of mutual fund dollars are managed by men, where 86% of financial advisors are men average age young 60s, maybe the gentleman built a business for themselves. And maybe we could build a business that would be targeted, really built two years of research with women and recognize the big things like, oh, our investing algorithm had better take into account that women live longer but earn less. And at the same time, oh, we should also recognize that you know, if you ask a woman her risk tolerance and she doesn't know it, she'll leave. Whereas the man will actually take an educated guess and continue. So finding the different barriers for women and then what motivates them to invest? Achieving their goals. Quant, you know, identifying, quantifying, and investing to achieve concrete goals like buy a home, start a business, et cetera. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. Everyone is talking about fake spring and how difficult it is to dress around this time. But that's because it is. When I walk out of my New York City apartment in the morning, it can be difficult to know if I'm dressing for winter or a warm spring day. Luckily, Ferity makes it way easier. They make the perfect clothes for all seasons. I can definitely tell you, as I am a regular customer at their store on Columbus Avenue. Ferity is a family-run brand marketing, high-quality, timeless clothing with modern design and functionality. It's that kind of effortless style you want every time you go digging in your closet. That set, that shirt, that dress, that feels like you've had them for years. Maybe it's in a gorgeous print and it looks like it might be vintage, but it fits so well that it feels like it was made just yesterday, just for you. Well, that's Faraday. My personal favorite Faraday items are their sweaters, which are comfortable, yet stylish and warm, yet breathable. The perfect item for all times of the year. And Faraday's so 
confident in the quality of their stuff, they have a lifetime guarantee of quality. They'll replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. Talk about making it easier to get dressed. And right now, Verity is giving all HSH listeners 20% off. 20% off, which I am definitely taking advantage of. So head to FaradayBrand.com slash HSH and use code HSH at checkout to snag 20% off all your new spring staples. That's code HSH at Faraday, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y Brand.com slash HSH for 20% off. FaradayBrand.com slash HSH. And our next sponsor. By now, you've probably heard all about cryptocurrencies. You might even already be investing in them. But did you know that you can invest in cryptocurrencies through your retirement account? That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA and get all the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use, and it only takes a few minutes to create your account. Setting up an IRA is free, and iTrust has no account fees and no monthly fees. It's time to start taking control of your financial future. With iTrust Capital, you can get all the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Sign up today and receive a $100 funding bonus when you open and fund an account. Visit itrust.capital slash HSH to start investing today. That's itrust.capital slash HSH. Taxes and conditions apply. Fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Link does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. And we're back. When you talk about all these points, and obviously you're living it, you've done the research, you see it every day. It's really incredible when you put it into certain terms from a psychological perspective of risk tolerance and why women might not leave jobs as opposed to men. And you really do get that feeling of there could be so many more businesses out there. I mean, had those same similar opportunities or same kind of mindset with Mm -hmm. Elevest. Is that part of what you do? Do you not just invest in these businesses, but are you actually helping founders, working with them? Are you even finding them? In a way. So Elevest started as a digital advisor, robo-advisor. We've added financial advisors, private wealth advisors, certified financial planners, career coaches. So we really help women invest their money, but also you know engage with them to earn more money at work, et cetera. Workshops, email courses, one-on-one sessions, the whole nine yards. What many of these women are looking for is to invest in other women. And so we will, you know, we have capabilities where we can invest in other women. So Elevest is interesting because we live our mission, women investing in women throughout. Our, we just recently completed our Series B. We raised $53 million. 90% of the investors were underrepresented investors, women, LGBTQIA, people of color. So, and two thirds of our company post Series B is owned by women. Unheard of. 
unheard of at these levels. You go to our company where the industry, the wealth management industry, you know, in the leadership teams, it's 23% women, it's 11% people of color. Our leadership team is 85% women. Our company 75% women. And our leadership team and company are 50% people of color. Then we help women invest often in other women. So it's this really powerful a commitment to our mission of women and money and being there for her from that first dollar where she comes in and she pays us a dollar a month for her LFS membership through to having investors like Melinda Gates, like Penny Pritzker, uh, like Venus Williams, like Rethink Impact. Like I mean, these powerful women coming together really to invest together. Probably the most, I'd say the most powerful group of women investors ever assembled. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, when I hear you talk about it, I hear the passion. I can feel it. And for you right now with Elevest, would you say this has been the happiest time within your career? Absolutely not. It's miserable. <laughs> it's miserable. I, it just is. I, every day is miserable because what we are doing is so, so it's so important and we are the only one. And, you know, we sit here with the wealth gap as mentioned going backwards. We sit here a couple of days, you know, sometime after the, the leak from the Supreme Court that Roe v. Wade will be overturned, which is about power. So it is about money, right? It would be a different country if women had the same amount of money as men do. So, and, and when I go to airports and walk through airports and young women see my LFS bag, I've literally had them stop and cry and say, you know, are you at LFS? Can you thank the team? They'll say, I'm a first generation American. My parents never knew could invest. I invested my first $50 mm. with you. I cried. I mean, the, this is such a big deal. When you go back to the beginning, you know this better than anyone. One mistake, one big mistake, you're out of business. Two small mistakes, you're out of business. And there's so many mistakes you can make. You hire the wrong CTO, you push through on a strategy that isn't quite the, I mean, or you run out of money, then you move on. And scaling a business is so hard. You've got people who've been with you since the beginning and they're no longer the right person for the job. I mean, it's so, and then throw in a pandemic, throw in this market downturn. I mean, and then <laughs> knowing that you have this responsibility to these women. And then knowing like the Melinda Gates backed you, I mean, I got to drink every night. I have to drink every night. <laughs> I, I totally feel you as an entrepreneur. It's so great to hear, you know, and when, when you said that, I felt like, yes, you probably love what you're trying to build and have done. And I'm sure it must make you feel incredible when a woman like that comes up to you in the airport and says something like that. But yes, as an entrepreneur, and especially you can talk to our audience who are entrepreneurs who want to be entrepreneurs, having a drink every night or dealing with it, there's so much pressure yeah. and it's so intense. And how do you, even with your track record that has been incredible, how do you deal with those pressures? Yeah. So first of all, you look, I would not recommend anybody start a business that they're not passionate about because it is just too hard. And I've seen, you know, well, we'll start this XYZ business. I mean, what we're doing is so important. And there was really very few other people who could do it. When I actually looked around, again, the big bang 
banks had all done marketing programs, but it needed so much more than that. And I, you probably needed to be a woman to start it. You probably needed to have either deep experience in finance or deep experience in tech and be able to build both. And you had to be able to raise quite a bit of venture money. And so was that, I've got to do it. So how do I deal with it? I walk a lot. And I, and as I said, I drink every night and just recognize they're not get caught at all in my ego. Let the community talk to us. Let the, not just A-B test, but multivariate tests talk to us, you know, and just admit when you're, when you're wrong. I do joke to the team and I just be right once. I mean, seriously, just once, <laughs> you know, so I've got these, it's amazing. These young folks who in their twenties, who are right, right at me telling me, you know, no, this is where we're going to go. I'm like, great, let, let's do it. So I think those are qualities. Not a lot of folks on wall street have, you know, sort of the ability to be, to just show real humility and let yourself be led to where the right places. You know, with everything that's happened, you know, with the Me Too movement, and we talk about a lot of changes, you're giving us statistics that show really a lot has not changed. Is there anything from when you started back on Wall Street in the 80s that you see today that is positive that there have been changes, yeah. put aside Elevest and put aside businesses that are focused, but just Wall Street in general, would you say from when you came in and what you had to, must have sure. had to go? Sure, through? sure. It is not like it was in the eighties. I have been incredibly disappointed. It hasn't gone further. And just that, you know, people still have the view it's a pipeline issue and we just, you know, we need to, oh, we got the pipeline, we're coming through, it's going to work. And we just got to keep the women from leaving. And I remember the CEO of one of the largest firms on Wall Street. We just got to keep the women from leaving. And when he went through the numbers, he told me, guess what? The women weren't leaving. They were actually staying. They just weren't getting promoted. And so the next level recognition is encouraging, but there's a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, there, there just is the representation of women on Wall Street, which is capital flows and determines where capital goes and the representation of women in venture, which is still so low. So again, I get back to let's think of all the businesses that haven't been founded right. because we just don't have enough women on any side of it. Yeah. You know, it is incredible. You really opened my eyes when you talked about that. And I was talking about some of these businesses that may have gone bankrupt or didn't get, but when you think about so many of these businesses, maybe that were just never started, it's really interesting. I was with one of the senior bankers in the tech industry and early on with Elevest was went to him and, and said, is there a different way? You know, I want to get LFS to where we're majority women-owned or majority women So is it crowdfunding yet? Is it better? And he said to me, it's Sally, none of those things have matured because the reason is the industry's not broken. And I remember almost falling out of my chair, which is, yeah, for you, it's not broken. Right. But, you know, step back. Okay, let's step back for a second and think about how much change we still need to have. Because if women are raising 2% of venture dollars, women CEOs, what, what does that mean? It means 50 times more meetings, 50 times more emails sent out of following up, checking in, 50 times more of the same question being answered, 50 times more time away from the business. And by the way, most men don't get funded in one business. So it's not like 50. It was hundreds and hundreds and most of the businesses and don't get funded. And when I looked at FinTech in our recent round, women CEOs last year raised 1% of Series B dollars and women CEOs over the past 10 years have raised 1% FinTech dollars. 
So those 1%, the overlay is like one in 10,000 chance. And when you step back and you say, yep, that's, that's actually right. That's actually right. And you can say, hey, it's you. You've got these connections. I don't have venture connections. I don't. I got Wall Street. I don't have venture connections and I can get meetings. But I've also got, let's be honest, I'm not 23. And there are not a lot of venture capitalists who are like, you know, I want a 50-something-year-old former CFO of Citigroup. That is the up-and-coming, sprightly entrepreneur I'm looking for. And so, you know, I get the meeting, but people are like, nah, you're old. <laughs> you know what? I would not bet against you. Um... No, you should not bet against me. You should not bet against me. <laughs> I have learned that lesson. Before I let you go, I want to ask you about today women who are coming out of school, even in school, looking to start their own businesses and and be entrepreneurs. And Mm -hmm. is there any advice you, and you've given advice throughout this entire podcast, but is there anything if you were to tell them or could tell them just in terms of going about it that you would say? Look, I have through my career try to run at the everybody knows, right? Everybody knows the stock is going to a thousand. Well, is it? If everybody thinks it is, maybe almost by that, you know, is it? Everybody knows women are risk averse. Everybody knows the issue with women and investing is they need more financial education. Everybody knows women aren't good with money. Everybody knows none of those things are true. Okay. Everybody knows, you know, the offerings are terrific. We just need to change them. Just like, by the way, everybody knew that women didn't need their own dating app, you know, where they could make the first move. And everybody knew women love clothes, but they like to own them. They don't want to rent them and then send them back. That would be totally weird, right? And we could go on. Everybody knows nobody wants to stay in somebody's spare room. Run at the everybody knows. And when people tell you your idea is stupid, outstanding, outstanding. Because if people think it's good, it's it's already been done, right? And so you got, and again, with as women, in a way, we need to overcome a lifetime of societal messages mm. that we've received of being the peacemaker, being the one with the, you know, all the friends and all the in the pack and all the not stepping. I mean, even women punish women for stepping out of a pack. You know, it's because we've been socialized to do that. And so, all right, if you're going to do it, you have to get comfortable that people are going to think your idea is dumb. I mean, when we launched out, when we announced all of us, I had women journalists. Like, this is so stupid. You know, I've with friends of mine for years. I don't speak to them anymore, Unbelievable. but, um, you know, so you got to be comfortable with that. You have to know it's going to be a slog. And the, the other piece of advice, the real lesson with Alabaster, you know, you get through all that you're, you're raising money, even with numbers that were better than what you view as sort of equivalent companies or comparable companies or whatever. It's a struggle. And what I found is it is much easier to find people who believe what you believe and rich people and get them to invest than it is to find people who invest and get them to change the worldview. Mm. And so the smart, so when I'm saying we're 90% underrepresented investors, these are individuals who came together through special purpose vehicles to invest, not 53 million, but a hundred thousand, 50, whatever the, the number is. And so that's where each round, even this last round I've had success is not on, we have some Sandhill Road investors, but it hasn't been one of those kind of series of rounds. It's been people who are changing the world the way we are. And that's becoming 
more doable as more and more women get into angel investing, seed investing, series A investing. Well, Sally, it's been such a pleasure having you on this show. I would love to take my girls by you for like a weekly, like just pep <laughs> session. Like, I mean, you could change lives and, and what you've done and what you've done and, and, and what you're doing now is, is continuing to do that for women, which is incredible. And I just really want to thank you for coming on and telling us your story and wish you the best with Elevest. And I don't think you're going to need any luck uh, in this one. But again, thanks for coming on How Success Happens. Thanks. Take care. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.